I love coming to City Church. If this is your first time to meet me, hello. I speak Texan. <laughs> if you've not met me before, you, I live in Lubbock, Texas. Um, it's about 350 miles west of Dallas. <clears throat> I'm married to one wife. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> I've only had one wife. Her name is Connie. Uh, we've been married for 44 years. And uh, come on, yeah. And um, I've got three awesome kids that love Jesus. They're raising up godly grandchildren. I love what pastor said about teenagers. And I didn't say this in the first service. So I, I've got time to say it in the second service. Um, <laughs> I must conference is a must. Uh, pastor Derek and I originated I must conference. I was the first speaker at the first I must. I must is my life message. I don't take this off. And uh, I think Pastor Derek still wears one too. Uh, it says, I must. You know, I must, the message of I must is not I could, not I should, but I must. And that's what uh, I must is about for your teenagers. So I give my amen and yes to what Pastor Tom said. Get your kids, get your students, get your junior high, high school student registered. It will change their life. Amen. I want to show you a picture in the early part of August. I was in Guinea. West Africa, Sierra Leone, West Africa, and Liberia, three countries. I did three consecutive three-day conferences for three weeks in West Africa and training past indigenous pastors and leaders in those countries. The picture on your far right, uh, that's only about half of the people. I don't know how the picture got cut off, but there were 54 pastors and leaders in Conakry, Guinea. And that was a challenge, I'm going to be honest. The nation of Guinea, uh, they speak French. Out of the three conferences, it was the only one that I had a translator because I don't know French. And it was also, it's a, mostly a Muslim nation, which meant we were literally in a church compound. There were walls, gates. So when you came into the compound and we did our worship, did our services, you could feel the presence of God. But the moment you went out of that compound, it was absolute demonic oppression. You could feel it, you could see it, you could hear it. It was really unusual for me. I, I've been one or two places like that, but, but it was just, it was unusual. And not only that, it was a city of 13 million people. And uh, man, the traffic was, I was praying in tongues the whole time. Uh, <laughs> then the middle picture there is in Sierra Leone. And uh, what a wonderful conference that was in. Uh, that was about, the first one, there were 52. The second one uh, in Sierra Leone, there were 59 leaders. And the far left uh, is in Kakata, Liberia, and there were 68 pastors and leaders in that conference. And you say, well, why are you showing me these pictures and talking about this? Well, City Church uh, helped make this happen. You may not know that, but they donated $1,300. The missions committee donated $1,300. Interesting that missions week's coming up. And y'all had a part uh, when we all get to heaven, there will be some credit uh, that will be accredited to those of you that go to this church uh, because you made an investment in some indigenous leaders. And I, here's what I know. When you train pastors and leaders in foreign countries, it'd be so easy for an American uh, preacher to go and do a big, huge crusade and organize it and all and see people saved. But you know what I would rather do? I would rather train a bunch of leaders and see them go back to their home churches and see people saved and see them grow, disciple, and be matured. 
And that's God's call. I know people are called to do crusades. I'm not putting that down. That's not my calling. I am uh, the missions arm of Generations Church, the church that I pastor is called Leadership Institute. It was handed to me. Uh, it's been going on for 40 years. My pastor, Dr. Morris Sheets, a year ago handed that organization to me, and I've traveled around the world with him and without him to 51 different nations, training indigenous pastors and leaders, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for believing in me and what, what, what you helped me do. So, yeah, that's big. So let's stand up on our feet together and look at the Word of God, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, we're going to read through the 28th verse. If you have a Bible in your hand, follow along. If not, follow along on the screen. And if you're watching online, welcome. Looking forward to ministering to you today. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? He said, she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine, that's James and John, by the way, may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They, notice the change there, the two boys, James and John said, we are able So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, so the other 10 disciples are standing around watching this, obviously. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased. That's just kindness in the Bible saying they were ticked off. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers, but Jesus called them to himself. He said, okay, guys, that's enough. Come here. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Everybody say great. Great. That's a big word there. Those who are great, that means those who are in power, those who have a title, those who have a position. That's what that's talking about. I think you understand that. They exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, that it cuts to the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And Lord, I believe today that you will help me communicate in such a way that my words are your words and my thoughts are your thoughts. And Lord, that I will communicate with authority and clarity about the ministry of the believer. And Lord, the people will leave this place knowing that there is no difference between secular and sacred, that everything is sacred to the Christ follower. And Father, I believe that we're going to leave this place different than we were when we came. Not because of a a preacher, but because of a divine supernatural encounter with a loving Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated today. The title of my message is called The Missing Peace. You know, I love what I do. I love, I'm called to preach. I'm called to be a communicator of the gospel. I love doing men's retreats. I love doing things like I must. I love being here. It's my calling to be here on this stage today. But you know what? I'm not the missing piece. You are. You know, there's a conception out there about the church that, you know, people that, 
that, and if you're not a believer here, and maybe this is your first time to come, you're a guest, somebody brought you into this building, and, and you're wondering, why did they sing those songs? Why did I have to stand up for 20 minutes? And why did he get up here and talk about this? And why is a red bucket in the floor? And why does this guy talk so funny? And, you know, don't they know how to make chairs the same color? <laughs> you know? I mean, was the person drunk that bought these chairs or what? <laughs> the church, I mean, the world looks at the church like we're different. And it's because we are. We really, really, really are. But they really don't understand us because they don't know Jesus. We, we come in this building and, and we enjoy singing the songs and we enjoy greeting one another. And you know what I thought when I first became a Christian and I wasn't a Christian when I first came to a church. And so I, I'm, I'm talking from my own experience. I thought it was the weirdest thing that one man went from this side of the sanctuary to the other side of the sanctuary to hug another man. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> it was kind of freaky. Nod your head at me if you know what I'm talking about. People look at the church strange. And that's because we are. But when you walk outside these doors, they're not going to listen to Pastor Tom's sermon. They're not going to listen to my sermon. They're going to watch your sermon. They're going to watch how you live. You say you're a Christ follower. You say you love Jesus. They're going to watch the words that come out of your mouth, the actions that come out of your life. And they're going to, they're going to go, oh, oh, that's what a Christian is. They don't look at the church and say, that's Christianity. They look at the church and say, that's weird. But when you go the extra mile, when you give the extra hug, when you give money, you don't have to give. When you give time, you don't have to give. When you give talent, you don't have to give. When you encourage, when you lift up, when you make everybody around you better, people take notice because you're the missing piece, not me. God called me to do what I do out right out of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Pastor, prophet, teacher, apostle, and evangelist. The fivefold ministry, God, if you read Ephesians 4, and I'm not going to have you turn there, we are called to equip the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. That one verse should tell you whether you came to know Jesus two days ago or whether you came to know Jesus 20 years ago, I can take that one verse and I can prove to you that every single person in this room is in the ministry. Somebody say amen. amen. Some of you are going, no, that scares me. <laughs> well, I want to encourage you today. This text, and if the media team will help me get it back up on the screen, this text tells us that there were two men James and John, that wanted to be in a position. They wanted to have a title. They wanted to have a place where people looked at them and said, that guy is in authority. That guy's in a position of authority. They specifically wanted to be great. Everybody say great. And I want you to notice in this text, there's nowhere in these eight or nine verses that Jesus, he never once chastise them for the desire to be great. Not once. So if you're sitting here listening to me and if you're 16 or you're 14 or you're 38 or you're 62 and there's a, a desire on the inside of you to be great, it's probably put there by God. But I'll tell you what 
God was concerned about, if you'll look at this next slide, greatness is not a taboo subject with Jesus. He just needed to address how they were going to get there and what it looks like when they got there, when they became great. Jesus specifically said to this mother and to these two men, the desire to be great, there's nothing wrong with it, but you're not going to get there by social climbing. You're not going to get there by stepping on somebody else and pushing them down and thereby pushing you up. You're not going to get there by cutting somebody else out of the picture and moving into their spot. He said the way you're going to become great is by being a servant. It's, it, he said it another way in another place. He said this. He said the last will be first and the first will be last. The way you're going to find yourself in the position of greatness is serving other people's needs and meeting the needs of where they were at. Who washed feet in John chapter 13? Jesus. Jesus was all about servanthood. Jesus, he even said it there in the last verse that we read. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give my life a ransom for many. Now, I want to help you out. I want to talk about three men, Moses, Jeremiah, and Gideon. We know the story. They'll show it up here on the screen. We know the story of Moses. Moses was a shepherd. Moses was on the backside of the desert taking care of sheep. Jeremiah was a teenager. He hadn't even gotten into the workforce yet. He was young. Gideon, however, Gideon was in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, that's a weird picture. He's in a wine press threshing wheat, hiding from his enemies. Well, guess what? God called, God spoke to, God gave. Listen, these were not prophets. These were not preachers. These were not apostles. These were not teachers. These were not evangelists. These were people out of the workforce. And God called them to ministry. He called them to servanthood. You know these stories, don't you? And all three of them had an excuse. Moses said, I can't speak. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. There is, listen, there's teenagers listening to me online in this building. God is talking to you today. There's a call of God on your life to be world changers. You're not too young. Gideon said, I'm too poor. Matter of fact, I'll go a little bit more detail with Gideon because he said this. He said, my tribe is the least, my family is the least, and I'm the least in my family. Who told him that? I had a guy in one service, I was making this point, same point in another service, another sermon, and a guy yelled out, the devil did. I said, no, he didn't. It was his football coach. It was his aunt. It was his dad. It was somebody very close to Gideon that said, our tribe is the least. Our family is the least. And guess what, buddy? You're the least in our family. And guess what? Gideon listened because he repeated it. That's some of your story today. You've been listening to the report of somebody that said you're a nobody. They said you won't, you can't, and you never will. And I'm here to declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that is a lie right straight out of the very pit of hell. You can, you will, and God has called you to the ministry. Amen. So, in God's normal fashion, he ignored all three of these men. 
<laughs> absolutely, completely ignored their excuses. And he said the same response, the text on the left-hand side of the screen. You can go read the text because I'm not having you turn to it. I'm trusting that you know how to read your Bible. But he said to all three of these men, I am with you. That's all you need to be in the ministry is to know that God is with you. Hello? That's all you have to know. On my trip to Africa, on the third leg to Liberia, the, they don't call them hotels, they call them guest houses. And in the guest house I was staying in, it was under total construction. And it, believe me, it's not like any hotel we have in America. <laughs> I don't want to go into detail to describe it, but it's, it's just not like anything we have here. And anyway... There was a guy, a young man, he was a teenager, his name was Cyrus. His uncle was the owner of the hotel. And I stayed in this hotel for five nights, this guest house. And Cyrus, I did not have, I had a sink with running water, but in the hotel, there was no shower head. There was a piece of pipe, but it hadn't, it was under, so, so when I walked in, there was a bucket that looked just like that with water in it. That was my bath. Now, you can use your imagination however you want to use it. But that's, and I knew. I didn't say a word. I walked in. I looked to the bathroom. I've been, I've been to many, many, many. I knew that was how I was taking a bath every day. Cyrus knocks on my door that night, and he had my rice and chicken that I ordered. Because that was safe. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, uh, would you like some hot water in the morning? And I said, yes, I would. So at 6.30 in the morning, there's a knock at my door. I hear it very loudly. I said, who is it? Just to be safe. He says, Cyrus. He said, I have your hot water, sir. And open the door and Cyrus comes in and he takes out the bucket of cold water and puts down the bucket of hot water and I had a hot bath. <laughs> he did it every day. He did it without asking every day. He just knew from then on at 6.30 every morning. But you know, Cyrus, when, when, when they dropped me off at the guest house, Cyrus, was, he wanted to carry my bag. When I, when I, he wanted to walk with me up to the room. He, he, every day, he brought my fish and rice or my chicken and rice, whichever I ordered. Uh, every morning when I got up to go down to breakfast, he, he carried in a tray full of coffee. And it was, the first day, it was just instant coffee. And the next day, it was re the real thing, baby. And I had it in a cup, and I had my eggs, my bacon. He brought it. He waited on me hand and foot the last day before I was supposed to. I was checking out the next day and leaving. He came with my, that night with my fish and rice. I, I said, Cyrus, you have a minute? And what you have to understand, Cyrus didn't know why I was in Liberia. He just knew that I, I came, I left every morning at 8 and I came back every day at about 4.30 and was in my room the rest of the time. He didn't know why, didn't know what. He, and, and I said, Cyrus, do you have a minute where we can talk? He said, sure. I said, well, come on in. And in that particular room, there happened to be two plastic chairs. And I put my, my fish and rice on the table and I turned around and I just started chatting. With him. I said, Cyrus, I, I've stayed in, in, what, in America, what we call four and five star hotels. And I'm telling you what. In those hotels, I don't get service like I've got with you. You're amazing. But I said, I've got to ask you a question, Cyrus. Has anybody ever told you about a man named Jesus Christ? He raised his eyebrows just like this. He said, no. 
I've never heard. Who is that? So I began to share the gospel with him. And after about 10, 15 minutes, I don't know how long, I asked him, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? And he said, yes. He said, if it means what you said it means, that's what I want. So I grabbed Silas's hands and we prayed. And he received Jesus and he looked up at me and he, he had began to cry a little bit. And he said, he said, I feel warm. He said, and then he goes, I feel so light. And I said, because Jesus took the weight of your sin that you've been carrying. Silas, Cyrus did not know I was a preacher. Still doesn't know I'm a preacher. He knows I am a Christ follower. That's all he knows about me. I didn't tell him I came here to change leaders in your country. It wouldn't have made any difference. Cyrus needed to hear that Jesus loved him and Jesus died for him. And Jesus has a plan for his life. May I tell you, sir, may I tell you, ma'am, that the people that you work with, the people you have fun with, the people on the, in the soccer field, the people at the volleyball game, they don't care where you go to church. They care that you love them, care about them, and that there is a destiny and a hope and there is a way out of the drama and trauma and the pain going on in their life right now. That's what they want to know. They don't, Tom Flaherty is a great man, but they don't care. They absolutely do not care who your pastor is. They care whether there is a way out of the pain and the frustration and the doubt that's in their life. And those of you that have been in storms, in difficult seasons of your life, and you've been up and down and in and out and all around, and you found that Jesus was your answer. Why haven't you told somebody else that he changed your life? You know what? Nobody can tell you that your testimony is a lie. You lived it. You don't need to tell them my testimony. Tell them your testimony because you lived it. I'm giving every one of you homework today. Go home and write your testimony out and so that you can tell it in two minutes or less. Because if you don't hook them in two minutes, they're walking away. So as we move forward, there's two triangles on the screen. Two styles of ministry. Or two ways of doing business in this world. One is a right side up triangle. And the CEO, the owner, the pastor in some cases, they're at the top. And everybody serves up to the top, to the CEO, to the owner, the manager, the pastor. And then the other triangle that you see on the screen is an upside down triangle. And Jesus is at the bottom of that triangle. And Jesus served the people. Jesus had one, John the beloved. Jesus had three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he did, he did exploits with those three. Jesus had 12. Jesus had 72. Jesus had a multitude. Jesus had the world. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only. So Jesus was always serving up. So on the right-hand side is the Jesus method or the Jesus style. On the left-hand side is the world style. 
lifestyle. It's where you go to work. And, and the way Jesus described it to James and John and their mother and to the 12 disciples, he said, the Gentiles do it this way. They lord it over you. They look down at you and say, you're serving me. I'm in the position. I have the title. You're going to serve up. You're going to serve me. You're going to make me happy. And Jesus said, that's not the way it's going to be with you. That, that methodology is not the way we do it. The way we do it is upside down to the world. And God's economy, God's way of doing business is absolutely upside down to the world. It's different. And if, as a minister, what you need to understand, and notice I'm calling you a minister. As a minister, what you need to understand, what will set you apart from the world, what will set you apart from any other belief system in the world is that you love people so much, you're willing to go the second mile, the extra mile, you're willing to give, you're willing to invest, you're willing to love the unlovely. Amen? And that's what set Jesus apart. But you see in this next slide that the, the power method, it gets resented. Again, you know, when, when people lord their position and lord their title over you, and they're looking down at you, you resent that. You're frustrated with that. And actually, that methodology of leadership, not only do you resent it, but it actually pushes you away. And not only does it push you away, it creates great competition because if I'm always down here, we're always wondering, we're always trying to figure out how do I compete and how do I get up to that spot? How do I move this person out so I can go to the next step? How do I step on this person so I can go to the next step and I can climb my way to the top? It creates incredible competition. Wave at me if you're understanding. Okay? But the Jesus method goes like this. It looks like this. It's a true servant leadership where we serve up. That kind of leadership always gets noticed. I don't know about you, but I notice funky things like I'm walking through church and I see somebody see a piece of trash and they reach down and pick it up and go put it in the trash bin instead of walking by it. I remember that person because very few people do that. Servant leadership gets noticed. Servant leadership, if you'll change the slide up there, servant leadership, not only does it get noticed, but servant leadership attracts people. It, you, not only does it, uh, you notice when people are going the extra mile and loving and caring and have compassion, but it attracts, it, listen, servant leadership, listen, you, we, see it in the, we see it in the lifestyle of Jesus. Servant leadership is magnetic. It pulls people in. Most of you that became, you could go back to your day, that you, the time or the framework where you gave your life to Christ and surrendered to Christ, you can go back and there was something magnetic about it. It pulled you forward. I'll never forget it in my life. I was sitting out in the, our church was so crowded that, that we had five services on Sunday, three in the morning and two at night. And I worked in the morning and I was dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And she had came and picked me up from work and I was not a Christian. And I'd been going to church with her for about a little over 30 days. And she just flat out told me, you're going to church with me every Sunday if you want to date me. I said, okay, you're hot. <laughs> Tell you that's what was motivating me. And we got to church late. So we had to sit in the foyer and we were watching a little 19-inch black and white TV. And I'll never forget it. My, my pastor gave the same altar call every, every service. And I, it was magnetic. I don't know what clicked. Well, I do know it, but I, I, it's too long a story to tell in this framework. But it clicked and I got up out of my seat and it was like a, a magnet was pulling me down the altar. 
And it was that I realized that Jesus loved me. He served me. He, he gave his life for me. He's, he, he died a criminal's death, like we sang today. He died a criminal's death for me. And it brought me in. And, and here's the other thing that servant leadership does in the marketplace. Now, these three things, he, it, this, hap, this will work in the marketplace, not just when you're, you see it. It gets noticed. It get, attracts people. But it also, the very opposite of creating competition, it creates unity in a spirit of teamwork. I love coming to City Church. Pastor Tom, I was coming here before you were the pastor. I love it more since you're the pastor. But before you were the pastor, there was a spirit of teamwork about this place that made it work. And, and you furthered that. But I love coming here because this team is unified. I, I, I guarantee you, behind closed doors, there's a difference of opinion in their, in their meetings. That's just the way humans work. But I'll tell you what, when they walk out the door, they're unified. They're going to serve you. They're going to serve the people. And, and you can be a part of that in the marketplace. You can be a part of that on your, in the boardroom at your job. You can be a part of that at the staff meeting. You can, you can be at the lowest. You can, be, you can just be a part of the team and not have a title, not have a position. And you can be a leader because you're a servant. I'm about to land the plane and be done. So I want you to notice a few things on my takeaway is they'll switch to that slide. A servant shows up. In other words, you just, you got the job and you show up. But a servant leader shows up and shows how it's done. You know, the person that really gets noticed in this world is the person that does things that they're not asked to do. Raise your hand if you know somebody like that in your workplace. A person that does things they're not asked to do. You notice those people. My question is, why aren't you one of them? If you want to elevate... If you want to get promoted, do things nobody's asking you to do. Serve. But what you need to realize, some of you have excuses. Some of you have genuine fears. Like Moses said, I can't speak. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Gideon said, I'm too poor. And in between services, the Holy Spirit reminded me about an obscure Bible text in the book of Amos. I don't know if the media team can... X out of the pro presenter and just put up a single Bible verse. If they can, fine. If they can't, fine. It's found in Amos. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Amos chapter 7 and verse 14. God called Amos to be a prophet and listen to Amos' response. I am not a professional prophet. And I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd. And I take care of sycamore and fig trees. Look at that. Man, are they good? Come on, somebody. Yeah. Look at this. Nor was I, I'm not a prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. And look, look what it says in the 15th verse. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, Go and prophesy to my people in Israel. Now listen to this message. <laughs> then he prophesies. Now listen to this message from my Lord. He just stepped right into it. He didn't get trained. He didn't go to prophet school. He just said, God called me, so here I go. Listen, your excuses, <laughs> you've got them. And they're real. I'm not saying they're not legit. 
But I am telling you, like a prophet would say to you, your excuse is not good enough because God says, I am with you. And my friend, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. So, track with me. We'll move real quickly. Next slide, Mark 3, 14. Listen to this. This is, just track this phrase. I am with you. You ready? Then the, he appointed, this is Jesus. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. The word preach there is not the term what I'm doing right now. It's just someone who proclaims the gospel. It's not this. Look at the next reference It's that I've got for you in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and realized that they had what? <laughs> listen, people notice. Listen, people don't give a rip that you went to church, but they'll notice when you've been with Jesus. <laughs> now, it can be the same. You can have an encounter with Jesus at church, and that's great. I, I, Pastor Tom talks about the glory, the Shekinah showing up. But the, the thing is that, you know what I know when you've been with Jesus? You're different. Right. There's a lot of people that come to church and leave and they're not different. You don't have to say amen. I know I'm right. <laughs> but when you've been with Jesus, you're different. And that's what happened. These guys, Acts chapter 2, these guys got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's why we, we call this church, my church that I pastor, we call ourselves a Spirit-filled church. Why? Because we believe and teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are different. There's something, there's an equipment, there's a change, there's a transformation that you do exploits for God. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. They notice this. They're, they're Acts chapter 3. They're filled with the Holy Spirit now. They walk by this lame guy hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times on their way to church. And this guy's just begging for money. And all of a sudden, something changed. Everybody say changed. Something changed. And Peter stops. Silver and gold. I don't have any money to give you, buddy. But I'll tell you what. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the guy goes leaping and walking and praising God. And it's a phenomenal story. And it's a true story. And I believe every ounce of it is true. And you'll never talk me out of it. Because the Holy Spirit makes a difference. And the, the, they got arrested for it. What we're looking at here in Acts chapter 4 and verse 3. They got arrested for it. But when they got arrested, the religious leaders of the day said, These are, they don't have a degree. But they have temperature. Some of you got that. Because something changed. We perceive that they are not educated, they're untrained men, but they have been with Jesus. Do people know you've been with Jesus? Listen. Let's, let's come on. He was with them. Let's go one more verse deeper. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Paul, the great missionary evangelist, he decided to pastor a church for three years. That's all he could take. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> it's true. He did decide to pastor a church for three years by the call of God, I'm sure. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after that manner, after what manner? See, he's getting ready to leave, and the people that he called to be with him, those were the elders of the church. He's going to give his farewell speech, and he says to them, I have been with you at all seasons. 
So not only is there the sense that God is with us, but you know what people want more than anything else? They don't want to know how much you know. They want to know how much you care. They want you to be with them. Are you with me? Are you for me? Are you on my side? I mean, just the fact. Listen, Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, some plant, or some sow, some water, some fertilize, and some reap. Listen, your 30-second encounter with somebody telling them that you're praying for them probably is going to make their day. God didn't call you to preach a sermon, three points in a poem. He called you to care. And when you sow and somebody else waters and somebody else fertilizes, and then there comes along, somebody gets to harvest that seed. Amen? But you're part of the equation. Paul was part of the equation in all seasons. And then we come to probably the greatest. The disciples responded to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 20 and verses 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, spoke to them, the disciples. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And here it is. You ready? And lo, I am with you. Can you imagine? Now, all of these guys died. They were martyred. Every one of them were martyred. They saw Jesus martyred. And when he says, lo, I am with you, there had to be a sense and a knowledge of, of we're being sent into this world, and, and we, we're probably going to die like he did. But he said, I am with you. And for some reason, we as preachers, and, and rightly so, we, as, as those that are, those, the pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, apostle, as those that are equipping the church for the work of the ministry, we, rightly so, we focus on the go part. We focus on go, 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 go. You're going to have a missions convention. Go, go, go. That's going to be the focus. Go, go, do, 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 do. But you do, you're, the thing that makes you able to go, 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 do, 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 go, 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 do, 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 go, go, go. The thing that makes you able to do that is the knowledge, I am with you. Would you agree with me? It's what, it, it's, it's what burns within me. Pastor referred to men's conference this week. He didn't talk about it, and, and, and I don't, I'm not upset that he didn't talk about it. I'm just going to tell you that I was so nervous, uh, and, and you're looking at me like, you nervous? Yeah. I was really nervous at the men's retreat. Why? Because God gave me an assignment to speak on grief. I was going to speak to a bunch of hairy-legged men about this touchy-feely subject called grief. I wasn't going to do this macho thing. Hey, we're men. We create stuff. God's called us to dominate. Traditional men's ministry message, right? No, God called me to, to touch these guys and speak about the grief, the loss that they're carrying in their soul. And man, if you could have been a fly on the wall and seen the ministry of the Holy Spirit at that last service, you would have broke down and bawled your eyes out like many of the men did. Because God was healing them. But why are you telling I'm not bragging. I'm not trying to be braggadocious about what happened. What I'm trying to tell you is I came to Madison, Wisconsin on Thursday. Pastor Derek picked me up at the airport. And one of the first things I said to him, you need to pray for me. I am extremely nervous about the assignment that God has given me this weekend. I was comforted by the fact, lo, I am all with you always. 
I knew I had to obey God, but I knew he was going to be with me. And listen, ma'am, sir, young person, you have an assignment in your high school. You have an assignment on your college campus. You have an assignment. You have a ministry assignment in your job. You have a ministry assignment with the soccer team, with your bridge club, with your, your chess club. You have an assignment where you, where you go uh, to the restaurant, the waiter the, or the waitress that you, you, rec- you go and you request that wait- waiter. You go, you have an assignment from heaven in the marketplace and hear the voice of the Lord. Lo, I am with you some of the time. No. I am with you what? 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 Oh, okay. Close your Bibles. Put your pens away. Bow your heads and close your eyes, please. Respecting the privacy of everyone around you. Father, we come to the place today where I ask you to confirm in the hearts of men and women and young people, people that are online, people that have listened to this message from the comfort of their kitchen or their living room, or maybe they're on the road and they're in an airport, or maybe they'll watch it later, I don't know. But I'm asking you to confirm in their hearts that you're with them. And that assignment that they're sitting here and they know that they know that they know. They've said no, just like Moses did. They said no, just like Gideon did. They said no, I'm too young, just like Jeremiah did. But Lord, you're responding back by your spirit today. I am with you.